Welcome to Viger, please. A hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm your co-host, Peter. We have some breaking Viger, please, news to share with everybody. Um, what is not breaking news is that Picard is about to come out. I think by the time people listen to this, it'll literally be next week that uh, Picard is going to debut. And Peter and I have reflected on the fact that, A... Uh, we are exactly the target demographic for the show, seeing as we are like nerds in our mid to late 30s that grew up watching TNG and have an unhealthy respect for Jean-Luc Picard. And uh, B, really want to talk about it on the Internet. And yeah, watching that Star Trek pornography really reignited my desire to talk about TNG on a podcast. <laughs> So we've decided that after our next episode, so we're going to do a review of Living Witness, and then we're going to actually hiatus Voyager as our content for 10 weeks while we uh, absorb Picard into our bloodstream. And we will be producing a weekly podcast on Picard. The... Release schedule will change a little bit because uh, the idea is I think we're going to watch the episode the the day it premieres, uh, talk about it if possible that day, and then produce the show and release it before the next episode comes out. Uh, so I would expect that perhaps the show might be coming out on Wednesdays when we do that. We're going to work that out. But the idea here is that uh, Voyager will will go go on a pause and we will devote ourselves to doing uh, Picard because I think uh, I don't think I'll be able to escape myself from wanting to talk about it. So we might as well in- indulge that. And thankfully, Voyager is going nowhere. It is it is 25 years old. It can just chill while we uh, we we catch up with old friends, so to speak. And then uh, we can return right to Jerry Ryan, you know, strapped into her cat suit. <laughs> uh, this show having already been in progress. So. I hope that doesn't disappoint any hardcore Voyager fans. We certainly intend to pick right back up after Picard is over uh, and we're not going anywhere. Uh, but we just, this is too much of a pop culture moment to uh, for us to ignore. And uh, I will say though, that we will, we will have to see how many of our recurring bits might apply to Picard. Like if there'll be any space pipes. Damn it. I keep forgetting know. to break out the Darius bingo card. I- <laughs> I, I, need to... I always actually check after we're done recording to see if we made bingo or not. And you, we, I am shameful. We are shamefully, uh, res- uh, locked into some tropes. It's, uh, it's, it's our, it's what people like though about us. I think mm. that's why they keep coming back mm. on that note though. What we did re- watch an episode of Voyager this week and we are going to review it. And what is that episode called Peter season four, episode 22, unforgettable. Remember last week when we were discussing this and I asked you if this is a bad episode and uh, you did not say absolutely yes, this is a terrible episode. Yeah, I, I, I kind of vamped a bit on it. I didn't. I remembered Virginia Madsen really well because she reminded me so much of Kess. Yeah, she's a real Kess. Yeah, this episode was fucking terrible. This <laughs> Fuck you for not being like, yeah, this is a shitty episode. I didn't think it was shitty. That's why I didn't say it was shitty, man. I, I, so 
everyone needs to know that Peter and I have taken to uh, uh, looking at each other as we do the podcast now. Uh, we have our camera up. And uh, when I said that, I saw this look of disdain and his eyebrows go up as he looked away because he didn't want to he didn't want to look at my face as I said that. And, you know, gestures mean so much that that rich tapestry of life. And I just want you to know, I I see how much you hated me saying that. Yeah. I don't think I've watched an episode of Voyager this bad in a while. <laughs> this is some primetime 90s boring ass melodrama. And uh, mm. so we open up with Harry Kim and uh, Paris and Chakotay. And this is like it might be Paris's only scene, I think. And he's like in the he's just in the background, yeah. you know, like at his station doing normal things. Oh, you know who's not in this episode at all? It's Bolana. Yeah. She uh, is, Roxanne Dawson just gave birth apparently at the, around this time. Uh yeah, she gave birth immediately preceding the events of uh the last episode, which was Omega Directive. I think they actually had to take her off the set and they ended up cutting her out of some scenes. So, anyways, we've got uh Kim Paris and Chakotay talking about some uh some sensor calibrations that are off they've been using the what are they called ramp rampart but bussard collectors yeah the bussard collectors yeah so they're doing some space harvesting but they don't know how much material they've collected because seven of nine has done some sensor enhancements that were undocumented things are misaligned and we have we have a situation that's been ongoing and it's Instead of correctly assigning blame to Seven of Nine not being a team player, Chakotay's solution is, Harry, you should have worked with her closer. You're the problem. Get with her and fix your numbers. And it's like we've had three episodes, three potent episodes now where Seven's insubordination has really caused some big problems on Voyager that have escalated to a point where even Janeway gets a taste of her own medicine. And yet they never stop and say, listen, we really got to clamp down and get her playing on the same team. Janeway's barely in this as well. It's worth pointing out. Um, this is very much the Chakotay show. So one note I wanted to make was that the director of the episode is Andrew Robinson, who's actually better known as an actor on Star Trek. He played Garrick on DS9, who a lot of Trek fans, I think, uh, see him as like the quote unquote their favorite character or the best character in in Star Trek history, a lot of times, uh, I think he's definitely like the best not main character. I'd put someone like Picard or Kirk above him, but that's about it. It's he's very different. He's a spy. He's he's played with a, a tremendous amount of charisma by Andrew Robinson. But uh, I appreciate how much uh, of a Trek nerd uh, he is personally. He is such a Trek nerd. He is the person who wrote the backstory novel for his character. So after DS9 was over, he wrote this actual full length novel all by himself. He was not asked to do this and and then like gave it to someone at uh, at at Paramount who got him introduced to the people who did the books, who then retroactively made it canon for like the expanded universe of DS9 like reboot after the show was over and all this other stuff. Like he just loves Trek. He loves the history of it and he loved playing Garrick. Uh, to a level I think a lot of actors don't necessarily get into when it comes to this stuff. So I appreciate that he's like a, like hard in the paint. Uh, but he has a very peculiar 
directing style. He does these like romance uh, episodes. That's like his thing. Uh, he did the wedding episode for DS9 between uh, Worf and Jadzia. He did the blood fever episode of Voyager when they have Vul- Vulky, the rapey Vulcan. Yeah, quote unquote uh, romance. Yeah. <laughs> which was uh, another and, Lisa Kink episode. And then this one, uh, which uh, uh, is also romantic in nature. And I find it strange that he's sort of like pigeonholed into this weird spot where he's doing these awkward romance things and that blood fever totally was a romance episode it was just it was a romance episode for tom and balana and by romance i mean close close breathing in caves mm-hmm. cock or not and here <laughs> i'd say cock teasing but uh I stay it in yeah that was tom being a dick and letting balana almost die because he chose that moment to become a prude yeah tom was being a dick by not giving her the dick yeah yeah, you might die it. from being too horny, but uh, whatever. Rim shot. <laughs> so the bridge starts rocking. <clears throat> Red alert doesn't instantly go up for some reason. He's like, hey, what's going on? And they all get to their stations. Janeway gets to the bridge and we find out that there is a <laughs> very budget friendly space battle going on right next to them. <laughs> But everything's invisible with invisible lasers and invisible explosions and invisible ships. It's just the camera rocking around. It's 26 episodes in a season. You got to have some shit be invisible or in caves or some shit like that. Like it's this is a lot of shit they got to make. And it's just the same amount of dollars got to get World War Two. France was expensive to build. It was. They had to go to an actual movie lot. So there uh, Wonder Woman is fighting off evil space aliens in her invisible spaceship. Uh, they uh, they call over to Astrometrics and they're like, do you know anything Seven of Nine? Which, why wouldn't all that stuff already be tied into the ship's main sensors? I, it's silly to have to contact a different department to get tactical data, but whatever. And they confirm that, yes, there are two vessels that are firing at each other. For whatever reason, their laser beams and photon torpedoes are also invisible. Some pretty baller cloaking technology. Uh, and as a result, one of the ships finally explodes and they get a communication from some female voice and she starts begging Chakotay by name for help. And I'm very disappointed that at no point nobody perked up and said, Seska, is that you? <laughs> Stevie was wondering if this would have be a sudden return in the Burn Queen as if well. Only. But no, it is if not. Only. It is not. Instead, it is a uh, handsome uh, lady alien uh, played by, as mentioned, uh, Virginia Madsen, who is a big enough get for a show like Voyager that uh, she's not merely a guest star. She's a very special guest star or something like very special for? appearance by. By this time, I, I, I'm not sure exactly. So the biggest movie she was ever in was Sideways, which got Oscar. She she got an Oscar nomination and all that. This was like a mid two thousands comedy, and it was it was a big deal at the time. I uh, so in nineteen ninety eight, uh, ooh, Rainmaker. That's probably that's probably the biggest movie she was oh, in. That was a big Candy one. Man. She's right up there with uh, the Herogen guy. She's a, a, I would say she she's like a real actress, not a TV actress. 
And so they they build her a little bit higher. And oh, she was in Highlander, too, as well. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Move over. Davies. <laughs> I want to talk about cloaking devices, because these are some pretty fancy cloaking devices. And it got me thinking again, like people on Voyager have to know how to build cloaks, like how to just flat out knock off a Romulan cloak or a Klingon cloaking device like. I, I think if I was in Janeway's shoes, I'd really be like, you know, let's I understand it's against all the rules, but let's let's put one on just in case. I mean, at the very least, seven of nine should know how to build a cloaking device. Oh, Klingons yeah. and Romulans have been assimilated. Kind of makes me wonder, like, do the, do the Borg ever directly employ a cloaking device or are they just like so big and powerful? They're like, whatever, we're here. Deal with it. I don't believe that they ever do on camera talk about having cloaking devices but and we know that federation ships can be retrofitted with a cloaking device because defiant has one on ds9 at the exact same time that the show is happening now they they mention that it is a romulan cloaking device that the romulan government gave it to them in exchange for information and so you know, they didn't manufacture it. The Federation didn't manufacture it, but they only didn't do so because they're bound by a treaty, the Treaty of Algeron, the Pegasus from TNG. We know all about they're that threatened. backstory of why they don't have cloaking devices. They're bound by treaty not to develop them. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it, it strains a bit of credulity. That specific technology isn't something we ever see Voyagers seem to want to try and develop given their unique situation of like, listen, yeah, it's against this treaty, but uh, we're really far from everything, including the Romulans and the Federation and all of that bullshit. And we're also terrible at making enemies and fucking everything up and being a ship of death that everybody hates. Maybe we should just slide by. And and if they had decided to address it and then like there could be a reason, right? There could be a reason of uh, the warp core, the warp core for the Voyager puts out this emission that or or it's not designed to to incorporate it. So if we like we're cloaked, we can only go like warp four. So we don't can't use it all the time or like they could do all kinds of like here's a line of techno babble. And this is why we either don't have a cloak or the cloak is of limited use or we can use it as a device sometimes and not always. We can't just always be cloaked, whatever. Whatever, I would buy anything. I would buy anything that they want to give me as long as they actually gave it to me. But I agree with you. Like, it seems silly to me they don't have a cloaking device. And these are some hot shit cloaks on these other ships, too. Again, they are firing while cloaked. And you remember this is like the major plot point of Undiscovered Country, right? Oh, yeah. And again, the weapon fire is also cloaked. So we rag on Voyager frequently for having fantastic technology that they did not try to co-opt at all. Even when it's like perfectly installed on one of their shuttles, like the event horizon space folding warp drive of vis-a-vis, but whatever. Which never gets mentioned ever again for the rest of their lives. But uh, so what should be Seska starts begging Chakotay for help. And they're all like, okay, well we uh, beam her off onto the, uh, the sick bay. But they can't get a lock. So Chakotay and some other dudes beam over to their ship, which the interior looks like the inside of like a type six shuttlecraft. Did you get that vibe on like the front cockpit area? It seemed to me almost like a, I don't know, like an observation deck type of look. Like it just didn't look like an actual like ship. Just looked like uh, 
10 forward yeah. from TNG. They start look like a conference room. They start poking around and uh, a name calls out a, le- <laughs> a red velvet boot calls out for Chakotay's help. And you see this leg hanging out under a big pile of bridge rubble, which was pretty convincing. Usually when you see like heavy battle damage to a ship, it looks like shit. But this piece of wreckage they got laying on top of this character looks pretty good. Um, Chakotay pries it up and uh, they beam off to sickbay. Does that ship end up blowing up? No, it doesn't. Not that I I saw them. Well, you know, I they never talk about it blowing up. They talk about like trying to restore power to it. And then it's unclear at the end if that's her ship or the other guy's ship that they beam over to, hmm. which is a good point. Uh, but so the, the the big tease here is that this lady clearly knows Chakotay, knows everyone, uh, but they have no memory of her. And also all of Voyager's technology can't seem to like lock on to her, her personally, like the doctor's tricorder doesn't seem to record her life sign and that sort of thing. And she conveys that her species gives off some kind of pheromone that blocks the long-term memory formation of them in other species. And as a consequence, no one can actually remember them after they have left their general proximity for a long enough amount. It's a memory rift, which for organic targets, pretty feasible, pretty cool. The fact that this pheromone also manages to fool tricorders up to capital ship sensors is ridiculous. Yeah, the the idea of we give off a pheromone that makes it so people can't remember us is definitely neat. I also buy like the super cloak and like the explanation for like the technology of like, hey, well, we're really good at not being remembered or or we're being covert. So, of course, we developed covert technology because, you know, let's just be good at this, I guess. Let's be the best there ever was. But yeah, the fact that like their biological inability to be recorded Seems to affect sensors is a little bit of a stretch, but it's Star Trek. I can still buy that. I have no problem with that. They play this game in sickbay because you got Janeway, you got Chakotay, you got the doctor there. And they're like, hey, what's going on? How do you know who my first officer is? And she's like, well, you know, it's complicated. Like, give us details. It's complicated. It goes on for about 10 minutes. And finally, she spills the beans and says, uh, I know you, I, you know, I've hung out with you. And uh, he's like, well, how can that be? And then she's like, it's complicated. Before they go into the whole, uh, it's impossible to remember my species. My first assumption or what I wanted to be the case was that she was from some sort of alternate reality, alternate dimension where there she encountered Voyager and and forged this romance and then something happened and she jumped into another dimension and now here she is seeking asylum from whoever and she knew she had these inroads. We see many times like a member of Enterprise or a member of Voyager shifting into an alternate reality or an alternate timeline and that's where the focus is, is the main character moving somewhere else. I thought it'd be cool if just space craziness baggage falling in Voyager's lap and like, hey, in another reality, you helped us do this or you destroyed my home or you're a bunch of great guys or you did save Talaxia or whatever. 
here's the consequences of your alternate reality. <laughs> Chakotay, here's your love child from another dimension. <laughs> That's a really cool idea. And I don't think that would have been too far off, like from it being something he could have done. You mentioned something on the trauma support group. Uh, in reply to a very thoughtful uh, postulation by one of our fans about like Borg, you know, uh, you know, uh, psychology, like seven of nines impulses versus impulses that were programmed into her. Like what is what where is the the her desire begin? Where does the Borg end? And you mentioned like these are all good questions, but you sometimes you have to keep in mind that. Uh, in particular to the time frame in which this stuff was being made, this just wasn't something that anyone had ever tried to scratch beyond the surface on. Like it just, it, it was, these ideas weren't mature enough the way they are to us now uh, to be conveyed in television format. This was, that was the province of written science fiction, not mass marketed television science fiction in the same way that it is now. And so, and, and that, and that was a good point that you made because I think Oftentimes, you and I, because we're lifelong nerds, we're lifelong Trek fans, we're lifelong science fiction fans, we watch things like, you know, you love The Expanse, I love Battlestar Galactica, uh, you know, I love Man in the High Castle, or I did, <laughs> till it ended, and it was bad. Uh, but we have grown to appreciate this mature storytelling, and these ideas that kind of go beyond that surface uh, concept. And so we can be a little unfair to the show. Uh, because we're taking it out of its context. Not all the time. A lot of time we're able to put it in the right context and enjoy it in that context. But that idea you just had, I think that would have worked in 90s Trek of like, and I know that because they kind of do episodes sort of like that later on. And I, I, it's a shame they don't develop that idea more of that whole parallel universe where you made different choices thing, right? Like the whole mirror universe thing is like an idea from the 60s. Yeah they continue to develop that is that you know so she's just got a space stink about her <laughs> yeah she's she just gives off space peppy le pew fumes yeah, and well. you know and so the, the thrust of the episode is a love story between this lady kellen and chicote and you I know you hate the episode and it's boring as fuck. And I'm going to assume you, you don't like it because that part of the episode you didn't care for because it's like 70% of it. Yeah. I don't come to Star Trek for love stories. Uh, and and I'm going to call out some hypocrisy on your end because we'll cut to the end and, and give a spoiler here. Uh, by the end of this, the lady does not stay on Voyager she goes back to her people, and as a consequence, everybody on Voyager is going to forget that she ever existed, and the virus that they plant is going to destroy all traces of her. And it's the exact same crime as Year of Hell and everything else. This is a quintessential Voyager bottle episode where nothing fucking matters, and you're just right. wasting the audience's time with this dry hump that is going to build into nothing. Uh, Janeway tells... You know, no one learns anything, no one changes, because by definition, no one can. It's a zero-sum game. Uh, Janeway right off the bat's like, hey, hang out in sickbay and, and try and talk to her, which is stupid of Janeway. Hey, uh, Chakotay, I mean, Coopte, why don't you hang around with this blonde femme fatale who is going to rope you into whatever bullshit... Who looks suspiciously like us. I mean, we can't emphasize this enough. 
hair, ears, velvet jumpsuits, the low velvety voice, mm-hmm. you know, like it's so reminiscent of pointy elf Kess. ears, big ugly blonde wig. It's it's wild in in some ways that that they decided to go so specifically for that. But and again, go this on. This plays right into the co-opt a trope too, because like every time he gets roped into some girl's crazy plans, it's usually like this blonde type, the Borg lady, whatever her name was back from um, what was the Borg co-op episode where he gets implanted. Mm, I, I remember that one. Yes. Well, I remember the Borg co-op because it was like the first time we were like got a real solid taste of the Borg on, on the series. Solid taste of co-op day as well. Uh, and she's like, you know, we fell in love and you were so great and all this other stuff. And he is uncharacteristically resistant to completely falling for her shit. And I think the episode does a good job of playing her motivations, her true motivations close to the vest for a while, because I was really expecting there to be some dark ulterior motive that she had uh, or some plot twist moment. And it just doesn't happen. She really is there for love and we get treated to several scenes where she starts very aggressively trying to rekindle this romance that she believed existed between her and Chakotay. We find out that part of the technologies, because my first question to all this, like her accusations that, oh, you guys can't remember me and there's no trace. Like everybody makes personal log entries. Like shouldn't there be evidence of her all over the place? But conveniently they have these like I said, a virus that they implant that goes through and destroys all traces, which kind of a wave of the the storytelling one to to plug those holes. I, I I agree with your overall sentiment that it's disappointing that this episode is a incredibly strict bottle experience, uh, and that nothing that happens here by design can impact the characters in any way. Uh, it is the worst part of the episode, but I guess. Just to to cut to the chase, I liked the interaction between Chakotay and and Kellen. I thought that both, uh, you know, that Robert Beltran is one of the weaker actors on the series. I think it's fair to call him that. Uh, But there were a few times where I felt like he rose above his weakness and was able to kind of like find some nuance and find uh, a kind of a, th- a line in the performance that made me buy it. And uh, Virginia Madsen did a fine job of portraying it on her end. I think she she definitely outacted him in many ways. So there was a bit of an imbalance, but I got it. Like, you know, she had a real connection with him. She he missed it. He came back. It's complicated by this inability to remember. You know, he starts to fall for her again. And, and I mean, you agree she's you know, like pushing way too hard out of the gate. She is because she she wants it really bad because she remembers it. And it it kind of I in a way, maybe this is what I like appreciated. Like at the end when it doesn't work, where he's not able to like recreate that with her the second time around after she's Third made to forget. Around. Like, yeah, because he's not that way. He's not trying to like come real hard out of the gate and and. And so she doesn't respond the same way. And so they kind of miss the connection, which is Neelix's point at the end. And I thought that was great dialogue on his part. It was very Andrew Robinson dialogues, the kind of shit that uh, Garrick would say, like in terms of 
philosophizing. Obviously, his is much more sinister and related to real politic of space. But the idea that in this episode, Neelix is sort of the one that's providing the the, the check on, like, yeah, yeah, it didn't work. Well, it's because you're dealing with, you know, affairs that don't have, like, a logical structure. Like, sometimes something's missing and a spark that you think should, you know, Ignite didn't. And I don't know. I kind of – I got what they were trying to do with this episode and therefore I did not hate it. Its weakness is obvious, but I like the relationship. I, I want to talk about your comments to Beltrain. I think that Chakotay as a ro- romantic lead is very boring, but <laughs> there's really no other <laughs> option. There's no option uh, other than him because uh, Tom is now locked down with Torres and you can't really bring him into romantic encounters with other people without just making him a cheating asshole or breaking up this relationship you spent a season fostering. Uh, Tuvox off the table because of logic and whatever. Uh, they've tried with Kim and it's been disastrous every time they let uh, him go anywhere near a romantic plot line. And that leaves Neelix, who who bangs little kids. <laughs> so at the end of the day, Jeffrey Epstein in space, you're left with two viable candidates to tell romantic stories with. One is... Chakotay and the other is the hologram doctor who always knocks it out of the park. But part of that is that it's uh, it's a it's a rare occasion for the hologram to fall in love. Yeah, there's like a double story there. It's not just that Rob, that Robert Picard is the best actor. It's that he's also playing like the character with a lot more to have to process when it comes to having in a romantic relationship. And you and I both have noted that our one of our favorite episodes of the show was, guess what? An episode where the doctor has a romantic relationship with Dr. Pell. Yeah. And so uh, it's not that the Trek can't do this kind of plot line. And I agree with you. Like they are kind of shoehorned. And obviously they also have for a while, like put that, that thought out there that like Chakotay and Janeway are going to get together at some point. We have made like 80 hojillion jokes about all the times Chakotay seems desperate to crawl into that puss. His malading, like, like his malading, like super hard, uh, building her hot tubs and shit, you know, trying to fight for affections with a fucking monkey. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, they, they do want for, a compelling male lead that can be uh, a romantic uh, fixture the same way, I guess like Riker filled that need for TNG. Well, and that's where I wanted to go with this is, is Riker was a completely different animal. And I think it's because Riker was a dynamic charisma laden character. And Chakotay is just so low key and reserved. That's why when they do drag him out for these romance episodes, it's just, a fucking boar fest. I wish they would have done more with explaining his history as to why he might feel hesitant because they hint at it where uh, Neelix, I think, says, like, you just don't trust your own feelings when they're having like their first conversation in the mess hall. And what if they had gone into like, yeah, I don't like 
I was in love with Seska, and she turned out to be a Obsidian Order agent that tried to kill us like eighty-seven and times. And then I fell in love with the Borg, uh, who tried to, who convinced me to reactivate a cube. And like, yeah, if if the show yeah. could go into its own history and say, like, every time I fall in love, something terrible happens. I am I am traumatized. Yeah, Great. that now there's an episode I want. I want. I want. Uh, I want chakotay to realize his own messy abusive relationship history what if they had switched this episode around and instead of it being a girl space ninja ghost uh you know they had gone in with a uh someone that was targeting one of the female cast members you've got janeway who i think is the most viable candidate at this point i think she's almost romantically targeted too much Torres is again locked up with the uh tom train uh and then who else is on the table past that wildman <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think they're you're you're even more wanting for choice on the female side i think that seven of nine is obviously not a good choice uh there's just already too much going on with that character i think jane would have been a much better choice than Chicote for two reasons. One, we have both seen how much better an actor Kate Mulgrew is, is when she gets to do like soap yes. opera shit. She's super good. So like giving her a situation where she's like romantically connected to this mysterious man that she doesn't know, but feels a connection to. And it's all like, she's got to deal with that. And also her command responsibilities at the same time dealing with it. Uh, I think that might've been more compelling and uh, simply because, the other part that I want is that ever since message in a bottle, we have not cycled back around to her personal relationships yet. She found out in message in a bottle that uh, Jerry or Greg or whatever the guy's name, her ex Mark, Mark her fiance had uh, mm -hmm. written her a dear John, uh, hope you don't die in space letter. Uh, but she's back on the field and now she has no, as Chakotay put it, nothing to hide behind uh, saying that she can't get out there and date or whatever. So, Again, that would have been more stakes to this episode, a growth point, something for at least the audience to take away, not just, yeah, Chakotay's a sappy dude who falls for girls and gets burned at the end. How do you as how, how did Voyager, though, with as many characters on the show, really cut so many people off the the table as for like romantic candidates? If this was next gen, like Jordy would have fit great. Riker would have fit great. Picard would have worked. Mm -hmm. O'Brien would have Everyone worked. Everyone but Worf. Worf would have worked. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, Troy would have worked. Crusher would have worked. Even Wesley would have worked. Like, everybody there is viable, but it's, everybody is so specialized in Voyager with various levels of undesirability. <laughs> also has to do with the overall weakness of the actors versus what was available on TNG. Like you said, almost every character in TNG from the captain on down was a potential target for this kind of episode. Riker was more often it, but like I remember one of my favorite TNG episodes was the one where the captain has a girlfriend. Gosh. Yeah. Uh, and it's like that. Oh no. The... Uh, no, not Vash. No, it was this, this, the stellar cartography uh, officer. Who's like that. Mrs. Robinson looking Jeffrey lady tube and concert time. Yes, you got it. Like, and 
it's the, there's this great moment where he's just like, you know, like Sean Luke comes like rocking into the to the bridge from the ready room and is like being all kind of like jovial and personally friendly with with Riker like he just got laid, you know, and it's like stuff like that. of uh, And everyone's like, I think uh, I think the boss is uh, having a good time with the science lady. I think we're all are we happy for him? I think we're happy for him. Like there's just not that same uh, strength when it comes to a lot of the actors on this show. Like you just can't trust Garrett Wang. You can't trust uh, Robert Beltran. And, you know, you don't Tom Paris, you've kind of locked into an, you don't want to give, they've decided on a different path for him, right? Like a different kind of like story arc of, of him maturing. So you don't want to, to pigeonhole him with this. Tuvok is too locked in, right? Same reason data wouldn't but work. But data did work. I right? mean, He's... data had several romance episodes under his belt. Data wanted the romance. Tuvok specifically does not. It, it, it's not compatible. Yeah. Not only have I Vulcan, I'm married. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. My dick is super dry. <laughs> so let's, actually talk about voyager because we i i will say i'm the person that i think likes this episode of course but at the same time i do admit there's not a ton to talk about uh the love story is the majority of the episode the rest of it is basically a little bit of background about these very reclusive aliens that no one can remember they have really good technology we find out that uh the the lady in question here um, was originally on the ship to find a, a, a member of their race that tried to escape, which is not allowed, and spent weeks trying to track this person down on Voyager uh, and ultimately was successful with Chakotay's help, but then herself turned into somebody that wanted to escape this planet. And there's all of this trying to reignite their relationship while the rest of these aliens that represent Kellen's species attempt to reacquire her. And, you know, that ultimately pays off, but uh, the, the, they give you just kind of like enough detail of what these aliens were, were about to leave you with a lot of mystery without telling you too much, which I, which I, th- I thought was the right call here. The hard part for me was her deciding to not only leave, but again, like you said, she is a bounty hunter. She's like this, like it's like Logan's run, right? She's a Sandman. She's going after the runners for her to completely turn on all of her, her life's work, her mission becoming the very thing that she has sworn to track down and haul in all over this two week fling with Chakotay. So that tells you how boring the guys are on her planet that, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i mean she does say well you are very attractive yeah um yeah okay maybe there might have been sure something more interesting there to to give her a real reason to run from these people and and turn on a dime other than just chakotay's dreamy hair or whatever the hell she's got going on he could have like she at least been like you know when he brought out that hand vibrator and took me on a spirit quest it really made me feel a fond connection, just something, something to make it worth what she's doing and running from this. But the, the problem comes up that they're never going to stop looking for me. We've got pretty sweet technology and eventually these guys are going to catch you and tear the ship apart. So 
uh, I'm a danger to the entire ship while I'm here. I need to know that it's worth the risk to me and worth the risk to your crew. If you have these feelings for me, I'll stay. Otherwise, I'm going to leave. And finally, he's like, all right, don't go. You've co-opted me with your story and and stay here with me. We're going to integrate you into the crew. And it got me thinking, like, what a liability someone like this would be on your crew. On top of whatever clear and present nature she presents by the bounty hunters going to keep coming after. Like, how many times does someone <laughs> in the crew get stranded in space jail for a week or two? Right. <laughs> so you're going to go through all this danger and Chakotay is going to fall in love and they're going to get married and have babies and everything else. And then a year and a half from now, uh, she is going to get caught in some cockamamie bullshit space jail or Tom. Tom's going to try and make out with some alien he shouldn't or Bolana's going to have an angry thought or Tuvok's going to be snooty to the wrong person or or Harry Kim's going to try and touch a child while it's sleeping or something <laughs> and everyone's going to get thrown in space jail and then no one's going to fucking remember this and no one's going to remember her and they're going to you know uh, like like the random thoughts episode right where Bellana stuck down on the surface because she had a nasty thought and they it's like a week and people are just like what the hell are we doing here what why are we here why are all these people mad at us like just think of the comedy that could erupt from this. And again, Chakotay, who may have had children in this whole life, and all of it just evaporates because if this person is outside of your contact for more than a week, you just completely forget about them. That's a real fucking liability. Uh, this is not someone you really want as a permanent fixture around your ship. When they kind of get clued into the fact that there's more of these guys than just her on the ship that during the last exchange. And by the way, their phasers can fire through shields, which I always like to note when Voyager encounters fantastic technology, it should be acquiring for its own use. She hands him the keys to the castle. She's like, my, Oh yeah, I'm important. This is how it works. I'm important. They're afraid I'm going to do what I'm going to do right now. And that's tell you how our shielding works, how our cloaks work. I'm going to show you how our guns work. Harry Kim's going to circumvent all of that. Like it's the technology jackpot. But during one of these encounters, another one of these bounty hunters had beamed over and leaves her a little message. He smashes some of her shit up and she's like, oh, no. Uh, but he ends up cornering her instead of Chakotay just blast. I mean, immediately after, yeah. like immediately after. Oh, I think someone's after me. And then the person shows up that is after him. And then as you were about to say, like levels the 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 brain fucker nine thousand at her, <laughs> and and then Chicote grabs a a, a a a Glock, and is like put stop stop using the brain fucker on my girlfriend or I'll shoot, and then conveniently does not shoot until the brain fucker has done its fucking. Chicote is the slowest draw in the West. She, he is. He's got Tuvok is way faster. There's a flashback where they talk about their first encounter, and it's when her personal cloaking device fails, and she's skulking about the Borg cargo bay like all alien intruders do. And he comes around the corner. He's like, <laughs> "Hey, hands up!" He's got his gun on her. She's turned the other direction, and then she slowly turns around to point the gun at him and get in like the standoff. And it's like, dude, you should have shot her the second she tried to move. Like. You suck. You are a terrible terrorist. You are a terrible ex-terrorist. But he hits her with like the men in black neuralizer. 
And Chakotay's like, you asshole, you're going in the brig. And she's like, oh, Chakotay, don't let me forget. You know, I've basically thrown my whole fucking life away uh, to come back here and run away from my people and incur the wrath of whatever my government's punishment is going to be. Let me stay here. Make me remember this love we have. And it's like, okay, how about since you have a day or two before your memory totally wipes here, how about you like record a little video message to yourself in the memento yes! moment? Yes, 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 that thing. So that's exactly what Stevie said. Like, why the fuck do these people not get a goddamn fucking GoPro out right now and record them talking about this so that uh, they could see that? Uh, but instead, none of that happens. And it, it makes no sense. It's it, like exactly the uh, plot of 51st States. Yeah, so that's exactly. You know? Dude, I'll send you a picture of my notes at the top. It says season four, episode two, unforgettable. And above that, it's 51st States slash memento. Like, hey, you threw your whole fucking life away. And also, also, you, oh, you know, I violated my people's most important edict. I have left the planet. How about the other? Is there any edict in there about? Thou shall not kill because while we're talking about the crimes you're guilty of, you fucking murdered somebody in that little space fight in the very beginning of the episode. When that other ship blew up, that was another member of your race that you killed in a gunfight in space. Like you have thrown your life away times six. So, yeah, do a little video blog of you sitting on Chakotay's app like, hey, memory wiped me. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that the reason we've murdered is because we really love Chakotay and it's super important that you stay with him and rekindle your romance instead of just walking on back to our home planet where, I don't know, going to get our head cut off or right. <laughs> Whatever jail. terrible fate awaits me there. Yeah, don't throw away all yeah. of the sacrifices we've made. Silly. I have done the, the Kuchimoya with this guy, <laughs> which he's uh, again, had he a Moya, and when I'm saying a Moya, I mean literal Moya, not like a euphemism for uh, the sex, right? Had right. he taken no, her, I understand. On a, Mine was a euphemism for the sex. Go on. Had he taken her on a spiritual journey, or some again something that makes him worth it, really makes him so special? You're throwing your whole way of life away over him. I think this would have been a good application of his his spirituality and such a foreign concept that it, it, it enraptured her. None of that happens. So she's just like, hey, uh, Chakotay, I'm giving you full agency in me having my my dying wish accomplished, which is to stay with you. And I want you to do everything within your power to keep me here, which ultimately chalks up to him saying, you know, it's my recommendation you stay here, uh, but take that as you will. And then she's like, uh, no. And that's that's so much as uh, what the other bounty hunter says. Chakotay goes and confronts him. Is there any way to undo the neuralizer's effect? And he's like, I don't. Hey, hello. Oh, <laughs> did you come to rescue me from this terrible episode? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, the other bounty hunter basically says this is what's going to happen. That's what happens. And we've already discussed like uh, all of this dialogue do works for me, I think, a little bit more than it worked for you. And it's just a matter of personal taste. Like, that's the thing. Like, I, I can't really dog on you for not liking this because I, I, I get like this sort of like romantic dialogue connection thing. You know, these kinds of moments 
work for some people and don't work for others. And I know that's not like the most compelling review I can give of this of like, maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. I don't know. Want to fight about it? But uh, it's kind of it. Like there isn't like uh, any continuity. There isn't any like consequences of this episode. It's just do you find the idea of Chakotay being in love with a woman that she can't remember compelling? If not, then pass. If you think you might like and it, check out you know, 51st right. Dates because you'll probably like that, too. Yeah, uh, I did like Neelix in this episode in his capacity as a wise bartender. Yes, they utilized him extremely well in this episode. He's got this old soul, you know, reliable advice angle he plays, and it comes off well instead of him just being an annoying space cat. Um, I did dig at the end. So that's the other part. Like, okay, you know, and the guy admits as much. Like, I've inserted a virus into your computer that's going to erase all traces. I was like, who the fuck are you to come on our ship and just keep ravaging our ship with your viruses? Like, no, we're, we're going to fight that. I want to jump back to another point of contention on this. Uh, and I'm going to throw a line at you. You might remember from the episode random thoughts Janeway you know the rules Tom we can't pick and choose which laws we'll respect and which we won't so Janeway here you are given asylum to someone who has just murdered somebody uh, and the whole point of the society is to stay a secret and, and hide away but you're violating it. it's more of them going back on things but anyways you know this virus is coming the whole time I'm sitting there on top of why not record a video message to yourself to express your own love why not at the end, just get out a pen and paper and write the stuff down where the computer virus can't do it. And that's exactly what Chakotay does. And I want to see what happens in the morning when everybody forgets about this girl and he finds this paper that he wrote to himself. Like, what do you do with that? Because they can tell you next yeah. generation what happens when they found any hint of like, we were supposed to forget about something and we wanted to forget about it. But there's one thing that doesn't quite add up. And now we're going to tear apart the whole universe to find out what it is. Remember that like data said something by accident and they're like, what happened yesterday? He's like, oh, I can't talk about it. And then they end up back in that alien sector of space. We're like, we told you if you come back here, we'd kill you. And they're like, oh, we're so sorry. We're just too damn inquisitive for our own good. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, the, I, I, who knows? It's a nice romantic ending, I think, of the idea. He's writing it down on paper. I think that was more the intent. Um, With a spade pen. It, it led to more more of that great uh, dialogue, use of Neelix that uh, I wish they would. I would do more of the more the, the matured Neelix. You know, I like that and I would like to see more of that. But what I want to see most of all, Peter is what we're watching next week. And I would like for you to tell me what it is so that everyone else can enjoy this moment. You've talked about this a lot. Uh, season four, episode 23, Living Witness. And I see a picture of the doctor and he is in what appears to be engineering with the warp core behind him and some dude in a gray uniform. When the doctor's backup module is found, his program is brought online for the first time in 700 years. That sounds like all sorts of really cool theoretical science fiction. This is my favorite episode of Voyager. Bar none, 
It is fantastic. And I cannot wait to watch it with you. Also, directed by Tim Russ. Mm. Written by Brian Fuller. Mm. Uh, so this is special for a number of reasons, but it's great. Um, and uh, I think that if we're going to take a hiatus to talk about Picard, this is the perfect one to pause on. So there's no secret, Joe, that you and I have both expressed great apprehension and concern that Picard is not going to be good. And how ironic it'll be to go into Picard with what you are calling the greatest episode of Voyager fresh in our mind available for comparison to uh, the, the, the triumph. Oh, we'll see the return of the next generation cast in 2020. Yeah. I'm not sure how triumph it's going to be. I guess uh, it's worth us talking about just briefly. Our expectations, minor, minor, pretty low. I think that, Ironically, we were talking off air about how certain pop culture properties seem to lack creative vision. We were mostly applying this to discussion about Star Wars, but boy, oh boy, could you apply that to like new Trek, right? Like CBS Trek. Discovery seems incapable of understanding what kind of show it wants to be. And... You can tell that by how they disposed of Brian Fuller. They couldn't figure out like a steady hand to be the showrunner after there's been no unification of like its production process, like what story they're trying to tell. And I've looked behind the curtain on Picard. And unfortunately, it seems that it's having a lot of the same issues. Now, I we can all invest a certain degree of faith in the presence of Sir Patrick Stewart. And that, you know, he, he this is this story that is being told is one that he found very personally compelling. But at the same time, it's more than just one actor, even one as talented as him. I'm not sure it's going to be good, but I think it will be good for radio. I'm looking forward to talking about it. But first things first is a living witness. And we will see you with that next week. <laughs>